Chapter twenty three of K. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. K. By Mary Roberts Reinhardt. Chapter twenty three. The announcement of Sidney's engagement was not to be made for a year. Wilson, chafing under the delay, was obliged to admit to himself that it was best. Many things could happen in a year. Carlotta would have finished her training, and by that time would probably be reconciled to the ending of their relationship. He intended to end that. He had meant every word of what he had sworn to Sidney. He was genuinely in love, even unselfishly, as far as he could be unselfish. The secret was to be carefully kept also for Sidney's sake. The hospital did not approve of engagements between nurses and the staff. It was disorganizing, bad for discipline. Sidney was very happy all that summer. She glowed with pride when her lover put through a difficult piece of work, flushed and palpitated when she heard his praises sung, grew to know, by a sort of intuition, when he was in the house. She wore his ring on a fine chain around her neck, and grew prettier every day. Once or twice, however, when she was at home, away from the glamour, her early fears obsessed her. Would he always love her? He was so handsome and so gifted, and there were women who were mad about him. That was the gossip of the hospital. Suppose she married him and he tired of her. In her humility she thought that perhaps only her youth, and such charm as she had that belonged to youth, held him. And before her always she saw the tragic women of the wards. Kay had postponed his leaving until fall. Sidney had been insistent, and Harriet had topped the argument in her business-like way. "'If you insist on being an idiot and adopting the Rosenfeld family,' she said, "'wait until September.' The season for boarders doesn't begin until fall. So Kay waited for the season, and ate his heart out for Sidney in the interval. Johnny Rosenfeld still lay in his ward, inert from the waist down. Kay was his most frequent visitor. As a matter of fact, he was watching the boy closely, at Max Wilson's request. "'Tell me when I'm to do it,' said Wilson, "'and when the time comes, for God's sake, stand by me. Come to the operation.' He's got so much confidence that I'll help him that I don't dare to fail. So Kay came on visiting days, and by special dispensation on Saturday afternoons. He was teaching the boy basket-making. Not that he knew anything about it himself, but by means of a blind teacher he kept just one lesson ahead. The ward was intensely interested. It found something absurd and rather touching in this tall, serious young man with the surprisingly deft fingers tying raffia knots. The first basket went, by Johnny's request, to Sidney Page. "'I want her to have it,' he said. "'She got corns on her fingers from rubbing me when I came in first, and besides—' "'Yes,' said Kay. He was tying a most complicated knot, and could not look up. "'I know something,' said Johnny. "'I'm not going to get in wrong by talking, but I know something. "'You give her the basket.' Kay looked up then and surprised Johnny's secret in his face. Ah, he said. If I'd squealed, she'd have finished me for good. They've got me, you know. I'm not running in 240 these days. I'll not tell or make it uncomfortable for you. What do you know? Johnny looked around. The ward was in the somnolence of mid-afternoon. The nearest patient, a man in a wheelchair, was snoring heavily. It was the dark-eyed one that changed the medicine on me, he said. 
the one with the heels that were always tapping around, waking me up. She did it. I saw her. After all, it was only what Kay had suspected before. But a sense of impending danger to Sidney obsessed him. If Carlotta would do that, what would she do when she learned of the engagement? And he had known her before. He believed she was totally unscrupulous. The odd coincidence of their paths crossing again troubled him. Carlotta Harrison was well again and back on duty. Luckily for Sidney, her three months' service in the operating room kept them apart. For Carlotta was now not merely jealous. She found herself neglected, ignored. It ate her like a fever. But she did not yet suspect engagement. It had been her theory that Wilson would not marry easily, that, in a sense, he would not have to be coerced into marriage. Some clever woman would marry him some day, and no one would be more astonished than himself. She thought merely that Sidney was playing a game like her own, with different weapons. So she planned her battle, ignorant that she had lost already. Her method was simple enough. She stopped sulking, met Max with smiles, made no overtures toward the renewal of their relations. At first this annoyed him. Later it piqued him. To desert a woman was justifiable under certain circumstances. But to desert a woman and have her apparently not even know it was against the rules of the game. During a surgical dressing in a private room one day he allowed his fingers to touch hers, as on that day a year before when she had taken Miss Simpson's place in his office. He was rewarded by the same slow, smoldering glance that had caught his attention before. So she was only acting indifference. Then Carlotta made her second move. A new intern had come into the house, and was going through the process of learning that, from a senior at the medical school to a half-baked junior intern, is a long step back. He had to endure the good-humored contempt of the older men, the patronizing instructions of nurses as to rules. Carlotta alone treated him with deference. His uneasy rounds in Carlotta's precinct took on the state and form of staff visitations. She flattered, cajoled, looked up to him. After a time it dawned on Wilson that this junior cub was getting more attention than himself, that, wherever he happened to be, somewhere in the offing would be Carlotta and the Lamb, the latter eyeing her with worship. Her indifference had only piqued him. The enthroning of a successor galled him. Between them, the Lamb suffered mightily, was subject to frequent bawling out, as he termed it, in the operating room as he assisted the anesthetist. He took his troubles to Carlotta, who soothed him in the corridor, in plain sight of her quarry, of course, by putting a sympathetic hand on his sleeve. Then one day Wilson was goaded to speech. For the love of heaven, Carlotta, he said impatiently, stop making love to that wretched boy. He wriggles like a worm if you look at him. I like him. He is thoroughly genuine. I respect him. And he respects me. It's rather a silly game, you know. What game? Do you think I don't understand? Perhaps you do. I, I don't really care a lot about him, Max. But I've been downhearted. He cheers me up. Her attraction for him was almost gone. Not quite. He felt rather sorry for her. I'm sorry. Then you are not angry with me? Angry? No. She lifted her eyes to his, and for once she was not acting. I knew it would end, of course. I have lost a... a lover. 
I expected that, but I wanted to keep a friend. It was the right note. Why, after all, should he not be her friend? He had treated her cruelly, hideously. If she still desired his friendship, there was no disloyalty to Sidney in giving it. And Carlotta was very careful. Not once again did she allow him to see what lay in her eyes. She told him of her worries. Her training was almost over. She had a chance to take up institutional work. She abhorred the thought of private duty. What would he advise? The lamb was hovering near, hot eyes on them both. There was no place to talk. Come to the office and we'll talk it over. I don't like to go there. Miss Simpson is suspicious. The institution she spoke of was in another city. It occurred to Wilson that if she took it, the affair would have reached a graceful and legitimate end. Also, the thought of another stolen evening alone with her was not unpleasant. It would be the last, he promised himself. After all, it was owing to her. He had treated her badly. Sidney would be at a lecture that night. The evening loomed temptingly free. Suppose you meet me at the old corner, he said carelessly, eyes on the lamb, who was forgetting that he was only a junior intern and was glaring ferociously. We'll run into the country and talk things over. She demurred, with her heart beating triumphantly. What's the use of going back to that? It's over, isn't it? Her objection made him determined. When at last she had yielded and he made his way down to the smoking-room, it was with the feeling that he had won a victory. Kay had been uneasy all that day. His ledgers irritated him. He had been sleeping badly since Sidney's announcement of her engagement. At five o'clock, when he left the office, he found Joe Drummond waiting outside on the pavement. "'Mother said you'd been up to see me a couple times. I thought I'd come around.' Kay looked at his watch. "'What do you say to a walk?' not out in the country. I'm not as muscular as you are. I'll go about town for a half hour or so. Thus forestalled, Kay found his subject hard to lead up to. But here again Joe met him more than halfway. Well, go on, he said, when they found themselves in the park. I don't suppose you were paying a call. No. I guess I know what you were going to say. I'm not going to preach, if you're expecting that. Ordinarily, if a man insists on making a fool of himself, I let him alone. Why make an exception of me? One reason is that I happen to like you. The other reason is that, whether you admit it or not, you are acting like a young idiot and are putting the responsibility on the shoulders of someone else. She is responsible, isn't she? Not in the least. How old are you, Joe? Twenty-three, almost. Exactly. You are a man, and you are acting like a bad boy. It's a disappointment to me. It's more than that to Sydney. Much she cares. She's going to marry Wilson, isn't she? There is no announcement of any engagement. She is, and you know it. Well, she'll be happy. Not. If I go to her tonight and tell her what I know, she'd never see him again. The idea, thus born in his overwrought brain, obsessed him. He returned to it again and again. Lemoyne was uneasy. He was not certain that the boy's statement had any basis in fact. His single determination was to save Sidney from any pain. When Joe suddenly announced his inclination to go out into the country after all, he suspected a ruse to get rid of him, and insisted on going along. Joe consented grudgingly. "'Cars at Bailey's garage,' he said sullenly. "'I don't know when I'll get back.' "'That won't matter.' Kay's tone was cheerful. "'I'm not sleeping, anyhow.' 
That passed unnoticed until they were on the high road, with the car running smoothly between yellowing fields of wheat. Then, "'So you've got it, too,' he said. "'We're a fine pair of fools. We'd both be better off if I sent the car over a bank.' He gave the wheel a reckless twist, and Lemoyne called him to time sternly. They had supper at the White Springs Hotel, not on the terrace, but in the little room where Carlotta and Wilson had taken their first meal together. Kay ordered beer for them both, and Joe submitted with bad grace. But the meal cheered and steadied him. Kay found him more amenable to reason, and, gaining his confidence, learned of his desire to leave the city. "'I'm stuck here,' he said. "'I'm the only one, and Mother yells blue murder when I talk about it. "'I want to go to Cuba. My uncle owns a farm down there.' Perhaps I can talk your mother over. I've been there. Joe was all interest. His dilated pupils became more normal. His restless hands grew quiet. Kay's even voice, the picture he drew of life on the island, the stillness of the little hotel in its midweek dullness, seemed to quiet the boy's tortured nerves. He was nearer to peace than he had been for many days. But he smoked incessantly, lighting one cigarette from another. At ten o'clock he left Kay and went for the car. He paused for a moment, rather sheepishly, by Kay's chair. "'I'm feeling a lot better,' he said. "'I haven't got the band around my head. You talk to Mother.' That was the last Kay saw of Joe Drummond until the next day. End of chapter 23